Welcome to Views from the Porch, a lifestyle podcast where we have weekly conversations about some of the biggest challenges young adults face today. Our desire is to use God's word and our experience leading thousands of young adults at the porch to challenge you, push you, keep it real with you, and walk alongside you as you navigate your defining years as a young adult. For more info on the porch, visit theporch.live or follow us on social media. And with that, here's this week's episode. What's up, guys? This is David. We are back with another episode of Views from the Porch. And this week, you're listening to a very special edition where we are releasing one of the messages from our Awaken 2022 conference. That's right, exclusively on Views from the Porch, you're going to hear for the next several weeks the speakers and the messages from our conference. Enjoy the message. We'll see you next week on another episode of Views from the Porch. Man, welcome everyone in the room. And I want to welcome our Porch Live locations that are not tuning in online, but are here because all of them are, or at least have people from each of them, specifically Porch Live Boise, Scottsdale, Arizona, Indianapolis, Greater Lafayette, North Houston, Des Moines, Iowa, Cincinnati, Ohio, Tulsa, Oklahoma. Austin, Texas, Midland, Texas, Fort Worth, Texas, and of course, Dallas, Texas. Hey, as you've already heard, this whole weekend is the theme of the rehearsal, that this life, according to the scriptures, is not the end. As we know, as believers in Jesus, it is a preparation for all of eternity, and the way that we live this life impacts our eternity and the eternity of others around us. And so we just want to talk through what it looks like to live in light of that theme and to be the people of God and to live in light of that. Let me start with a story that is uh, relevant, especially to anybody here or everybody here who's from California. My family about a month ago got a chance to go with my in-laws. My wife's parents had invited us to go on a trip to California and basically said, if you can cover the flights for you and the kids, we'll cover the house, so we were gonna go for a week, and it was in Malibu, and I've never been to Malibu, California, people, you know, it is a bougie experience, and it was a free place, and it's like, man, we're not gonna turn that down, and so I began to plan all the things that we should do, and I'm reaching out to friends and calling people and saying, hey, you know, you've been there, tell me what we should do, tell me what we need to see, tell me the things that are not that great, and you know, everyone thinks you should, but you should avoid that, and I just began to plan and think through, how do we maximize our time there, and how do we you know, prioritize, we're going to go to the beach every single day because there's things, you can, you can go shopping in Dallas, you can't go to the beach in Dallas. We're going to the beach every single day. How do we maximize just what's going to be available? Dallas Cowboys were doing their training camp, so of course it's like, man, we're going to go load up, drive, go see the Dallas Cowboys training camp. And my focus throughout the trip, thank you, there you go, get a boys. My focus throughout the trip was really two things. It was, man, how do we maximize kind of my, my agenda and things that would be fun for our family and take advantage of this short time period that we have here, and if I'm being honest, kind of our own comfort, because you're on vacation, right? And so you want to make sure that, you know, you get to sleep as long as possible, you're resting as long as possible. And when you have little kids, that's a really challenging thing to do, in particular if they're sleeping in the same room with you. And they were. And I feel like I cracked the code on how to do this well. So this is free advice for a little bit down the road. Whenever you have kids and you travel and they're staying in the same hotel or you travel and they're staying in the same room with you inside of the house, 
I feel like I figured it out, okay? First day, we go, we sleep, and I'm like, man, just, you know, the problem is they go to bed earlier, and so any restful experience of you trying to get in bed and go to bed and turn on the light and brush your teeth, it just immediately wakes them up and just ruins the whole thing. So after one night of that, it hit me. The Spirit of God spoke to me, and he said, no, I don't think this was the Spirit of God. I should go buy a tent. I'm going to buy a tent and put it in the room and make it like a camping experience for them, and they'll love it, and we'll be able to, you know, like turn on the light and brush our teeth and have married time together, and it'll be great. And so I went and bought a tent that just set it up, and hey, you guys are going to get to hang out in this tent, and they loved it, and we loved it, and it was just great. And that was one after another, one after one example of just like, how do we maximize and have just comfort here? How do we work in with the grandparents, get a date night, make sure that we go and eat the best seafood and just have an amazing time? Now, what does that have to do with heaven and eternity? Well, when you think about it, that idea of, hey, I don't know how long we're going to have here, or we have a limited amount of time here. I want to focus on my agenda, doing and accomplishing and having the experiences that I want. And my comfort is how a lot of us and a lot of people live life. Hey, I don't know what all life has for me, but I hope it has that I I drive a certain car. I hope I make a certain amount of money. I want to build my business, and I want to be successful, and I want to have as much of my own agenda and my experiences, and I want to have the vacation and Bora Bora and check off the bucket list, and I want to have all the different things that I want inside of my life, and I want to have my own comfort, that I want to spend and devote my life and accomplish and be successful enough or marry the right person to have the type of comfort in life that I want. And where that becomes tragic is as Christians, the Bible teaches that if you devote your life to pursuing your own agenda and your own comfort at the exclusion of God's will, you've wasted your life. And part of the reason is because as believers, and this is, I can't spend long here, but The Bible teaches that you and I are going to spend eternity, not in like fluffy clouds like those balloons out there for all of eternity, but on this earth. In Revelation chapter 21, it says God will create a new heavens and a new earth. He will renew the planet that we are on. So you don't have to worry about, man, I've never gone to Maui. I've got to make sure that I do that before I die. You'll have all of eternity, billions of years to go to an even better version of Maui or whatever that's going to look like. You don't have to worry about backpacking through Europe before you reach some certain age, because if you're a follower of Jesus... And I'm not saying that either of those are bad things, but you will have all of eternity to experience a world and a new creation that God has made. And what I want to attempt to do, and really the whole weekend we want to attempt to do, is paint a vision for how do you live in light of eternity? What does it look like to live this life in light of the next? And let me just show my cards up front. Here's the challenge of this message and why it's not going to break through to some of you. Because every message that you hear every day from friends, from family, from people, is that you should spend your life focusing on your agenda and accomplishing things and being successful in your own comfort. And that can come by way of subtle messages like, honey, you got to make sure that you save enough for retirement, as though the ultimate goal of life is being able to retire at some certain age. It can come like, honey, you need to make sure that you have the right job to get in the right career because you need to provide for yourself. And every message that you're bombarded with is you should focus on you. And the paradox of the Christian life is that when you focus on you, you end up wasting your life. And as believers, we've been given certain invitations by God on how to 
Steward the time and the life that we have in light of eternity. And I want to walk through three of those things from 1 Peter chapter 4. So if you have a Bible, you can flip over to 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. If not, it'll be on the screens. And if you don't have a Bible in general, we have some at the Welcome Center, which is right outside of these doors. We'd love to give you a Bible that you can pick up at any point throughout the weekend. But in this passage written by the Apostle Peter, he's going to speak directly to, in light of eternity, in light of the fact that this life is limited, how should we live? And he's going to lay out three things. Now, here's the background on Peter. Peter was the leader of the disciples. Peter spent three years walking with Jesus. Peter was the disciple who stood next to the empty tomb with the Apostle John. He was a disciple that battled with some cowardice at certain points in his life, but after seeing the resurrection, would eventually become so courageous that he would give his own life for Christ to the point of being crucified upside down, church history tells us. And he writes this letter in 1 Peter, and he's writing on, hey, here's how you should think, and here's how you should live in light of the resurrection and in light of eternity. And I want to walk through three things, starting in verse 7, that he says that lay out how you and I are to think about this life. Verse 7. The end of all things is near. Now, immediately, there's a problem with this statement because he wrote it 2,000 years ago. So was he wrong, or what is he saying? The Bible says that you and I live in what's called the last days, and the last days are defined by the time between the first arrival of Jesus, when Jesus showed up originally, and the second return of Christ. And in comparison to all of eternity and billions and billions and billions of years, we are, in essence, in the last days. And Peter is saying, in light of the fact that eternity is real and more near than you realize. Here's how you and I are to live. And he lays out some really interesting invitations telling us, hey, you don't need to live focused on accomplishing your bucket list. This is how you should live in light of the reality of eternity. And he says, so be alert and be of sober mind so that you may pray. First thing I want to talk about is he says, You need to allow the reality of eternity and the fact that the end is near to give you a perspective to pray rightly. The first idea I want to talk about is praying with the right perspective, praying with the right perspective, because that's a really interesting thing. The end of all things is here, so pray. Make sure you know that so it informs that you would pray rightly. Why would he say that? It's a really interesting thing. When you're confronted with the reality of being near the end of your life, it does something. It gives you a fresh perspective or a right perspective. It puts things into perspective. In June of 2007, Steve Jobs introduced something called the iPhone. And this phone that he introduced had a lot of you know, criticism around it. And people thought, man, that'll never catch on. And you know, the Razor phone is free. And in a very short amount of time, it spread like wildfire. We captured a majority of the market. It was it's crazy. Transformed so much of how we live. Changed the world in many ways. And 52 months later, Steve Jobs was buried and died. And in the weeks leading up to his death, there were a circulation of some writings, or there was some writings that circulated after his death that were written and attributed to him from the weeks before he died. 
and they're pretty profound to hear. Steve, as far as I know, and as far as research would have, didn't have a relationship with the Lord, but the fact that the end was near put things into perspective. And he says this, I have reached the pinnacle of success in the business world. In others' eyes, my life is the epitome of success. However, aside from my work, I have little joy. In the end, my wealth is only a fact of life that I'm accustomed to. At this moment, lying on my bed and recalling my life, I realize that all the recognition and wealth that I took so much pride in have paled and become meaningless in the face of my death. Treasure treasure love for your family, love for your spouse, love for your friends, treat yourself well, cherish others. As we grow older and hopefully wiser, we realize that a $3,000 or a $30 watch both tell the same time. You will realize that true inner happiness doesn't come from material things in this world. Whether you fly first class or economy, if the plane goes down, you go down with it. But there's something about the end in mind and knowing that and believing that and embracing that, it just puts things into perspective. And Peter is saying, the end is near. Eternity is real. And so live in light of that and allow that to shape the way that you pray, to impact the things that you focus on, to pray rightly, asking for God's will. So often in life, we think of prayer like, which is just talking to God, but we think of it like room service. What's room service? Room service, you know, you're at the hotel and you find yourself hungry and you're like, oh, I'm gonna call down and order you know, one of those pizzas for $87 or I'm gonna ask them if they have another blanket because it's too cold in my room or I need another pillow and I just occasionally will call based on things that I want. And the picture painted in scripture of what prayer is like for believers is not room service, but it's like a walkie-talkie a soldier uses while walking in the battle that I'm in constant communication with the commander and his intent, that you and I are to be on constant alert to say, God, what would you have me do in this situation? I'm walking into work and I'm anxious over that coworker and how they're gonna treat me. And God, would you help me to know how to love them in this moment? God, you know that I'm headed over to see a family member and they've been so hurtful for me. And so I'm in constant communication. God, will you help me to love like you would have me love them? God, I don't wanna forgive them, but will you help me to have the strength to forgive them? That I'm constantly in communication with God. God, I'm gonna be tempted in this scenario to lust after that billboard that I know that I drive by every single day. God, will you help me to have the strength to fight this temptation? I'm in constant communication with God for his will, for his agenda. God, will you help me? I'm an introvert. So whenever I go to places and I I wanna look for times to share my faith, I just find myself, um, I'm so uncomfortable and I don't know how to do this. God, will you help me? And will you give me the words? Give me the clarity that I'd have the ability to share my faith. And Peter is saying, this life is short. And your perspective is gonna shape what you focus on. And you focus, and what you focus on is gonna shape your prayers. And you and I have an invitation to use prayer and to spend our life focused on God's agenda and God's kingdom or to waste it by focusing on our own. It's funny how perspective, it really does change what you focus on. When I was in Malibu at that house, like, man, it was a cool house, but there were some things that, you know, it's just a little bit like kind of too modern for my vibe. The couch I wasn't crazy about or the, just some furniture I didn't particularly love. You know what never crossed my mind when I was there? I was there for five days. 
It never crossed my mind to go, you know what? I'm done. This couch, it's out. I'm going to rooms to go, and I'm getting a new couch in here because I just can't live with this anymore. Why? Because I knew that wasn't my home. It wasn't staying there. And that perspective and the reality of eternity, it it allows us to live this life knowing, man, I I don't have to solely focus. I don't have to focus on me accumulating or me accomplishing. God, I can focus on you and your agenda. Because here's the saddest thing. When I said Steve Jobs changed the world, in a billion years, in eternity and in heaven, no one will be thinking about Steve Jobs and his impact through the iPhone. No one. And this world would say, man, that was an amazing accomplishment. In a billion more years, what people will be thinking of is the person who came to faith in Christ at your office place, in your apartment complex, where you live, in your family, because you shared the gospel with them. And Peter's saying, man, don't, don't lose heart. Don't lose perspective. Don't focus on this life. Every message is going to come at you like, hey, you live for you, live for you, focus on you, and it's going to lead you to not see the bigger picture and ask God to move inside of your life. Here's something you probably have never thought about. You know, there's going to come a day where you will never be able to pray again. You will never have the chance to invite God to move in a broken world and in the places and spaces that you live because you'll be fully in the presence of God and you'll never have the opportunity to speak to him. And not only is prayer a chance for you to say, God, will you help me? I wanna be on mission for you or God, help me right now because I honestly don't wanna be on mission for you. It's also something that just grows our relationship with God. The more and more that we do it, it almost raises our just God awareness in our life. My wife, when we dated in college, she spent a summer in Spain. And this was before iPhones or FaceTime or any of that. And I remember that because there was a time difference, I would just go out of my way to prioritize if she was available to call. So she would call, you know, three in the afternoon and it's like two in the morning over here. And I'm like, hey, how are you? How are you? And I looked forward to those phone calls every single time. And, you know, we would talk and I don't even remember anything that we talked about. I just remember constantly, even though I knew I was going to see her soon, the desire to have that communication, it just strengthened our relationship. And the picture scripture gives us is, man, prayer is this invitation to invite God into your world, invite him to move, to set our minds on things that actually matter. And in the process, it strengthens our relationship along the way. And Peter says, hey, in light of the fact that eternity is real, pray with the right perspective. God wants to move. Invite him in your life. The number of prayers that you have left in life, it is limited. But don't let it be limited by time. Let it be limited by you. Or let it be limited by time, not let it be limited by you. And then he moves into a second thing. In light of eternity, the end is near. Here's how you should live. And he says this. Above all, love each other deeply. Or your translation may say strenuously or fervently. Because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. She says, above everything else, here's another thing in light of eternity, love each other deeply. Or the second idea is to love beyond your limits. Why do I say that? Well, the Greek word for deeply is the Greek word ektenes. It's a word that literally means strenuously. It was a word that was associated with Greek runners when they would cross a finish line at the Olympics and they would strain and stretch forward. And Paul says, 
when it comes to love, I want you to stretch the boundaries and the limits of your love towards other people. I want you to love people in a way that stretches beyond what is comfortable. What does that even mean or how does that look like in my life? This is loving when it's not easy. You're saying, hey, you wanna live in light of eternity. Be someone who is marked with the birthmark of Christianity, which is what Jesus says. Christians are marked by love. But do so in a way that stretches when it's hard with a coworker who's not a believer and candidly they treat you poorly. With a family member or the sibling who mocks you for your faith, he's saying even that person in the face of whatever it is, even when it's not easy, because that's the only way that you can have a love that is stretching beyond what's comfortable. It's easy to love people when they love us back. And he's saying, man, be marked by love at all times and love even when it is not comfortable. Go beyond the limits and the boundaries. I was thinking about just how convicting that is for me personally in my own life of just saying, God, will you help me to stretch the boundaries of the way that I love people, hard and easy inside of my life. And in particular, I was thinking of a friend on my team. He's, he was up here earlier, Josiah, and just the ways that he loves people. I'm so challenged and encouraged by seeing someone who even when they're exhausted or pushed is just saying, man, I'm gonna love this person beyond the limits of what I may feel right now, even when it's not easy. The Greek word for love here is a really interesting one. I don't have really a lot of time to go into it, but it's the Greek word for agape. And if you're a Christian, you've probably heard that word before, but here's what makes agape love different. So in Greek, which is what the New Testament was written in, they had these different words for love. Each of them had slight differences. There was words that had emotional love. It would be like, man, a friendship or um, a romantic person that you were moved to love. Agape love was different. It wasn't emotional. It was volitional. It was a decision. That it was a form of love that didn't act based on feeling and act based on I'm deciding. And the perfect example of agape love was Christ going on the cross, not saying, man, I feel like I really want to be crucified, but saying I am making the decision to sacrificially love and lay down my life for other people. And Paul says, you and I are to be marked by that agape love. What else is interesting, and again, I don't have a ton of time. The Greek word agape love, when you look at Greek literature, prior to the New Testament being written, the occasions where it described someone loving someone are unbelievably rare. It wasn't until Christians showed up on the scene and the world looked and it's like they were marked by this radical deciding love to choose to sacrifice for the good and benefit of other people. And they began to associate it with Christians and Christianity in particular. Tertullian, who was an early church father and writer, even remarked of how one of the highest criticisms or constant criticisms was that these Christians were so marked by love. It said, this is from Apologeticus chapter 39. What marks us in the eyes of our enemies is our loving kindness. Only look, they say, look how they love one another. Peter says, man, if you want to be someone who lives in light of eternity, love others and love in a way that is beyond the boundaries of what's comfortable and easy. And he says, when you do so, it covers a multitude of sins. It is a love that is covering. And he quotes from Proverbs chapter 12, which is a verse of love covering a multitude of sins. 
but it's a love that's saying, because I love you, or it's a love that's not saying, hey, because I love you, I'm going to see your faults, and I'm going to decide those aren't even faults anymore. No, it's saying, I'm going to love you, and I see your faults, and they're still faults, but I'm choosing to love you. It's not embracing sin. It's saying, I'm going to choose to love you despite your sin and despite my sin. I'm going to choose to cover and care about you. And then he brings up hospitality, and hospitality feels like a random turn, but hospitality is the New Testament word that literally means to love a stranger. So he says, man, love those who are around you, love beyond limits, and stretch your love even when it's hard, and love strangers and people that God puts in your path. What if it's true that God has you where you work, where you're sitting right now, where you're going to sit on the plane ride home, where you're going to stop later for food in the morning. Like he's put you there to be an extension and expression of his love. He's put you there to care. Last week on Monday, I was going to lunch with Sam, who's the director of this conference and just crushed it. We'll celebrate him just all the ways that he's been behind everything candidly and the amazing team that he leads. You see, we were going to lunch, and on the way back from lunch, we got in his car, and he went to start his car, and it just was clear, man, this is not going anywhere. And so he's like, I think I have some jumper cables, and he goes to the back, and he pulls out jumper cables that look like they're from like World War II or something, and he's like, man, I, I think these, I can do something with these. And I, I'm like, man, we're at least going to need a truck, and I'm pretty sure that that's not even jumper cables, but... I look up, and right in front of me is this guy in this big truck, and I said, hey, do you mind giving us a jump? And he very quickly gets out of his car, walks immediately over, takes this black bag, it looked like black velvet, it's like this big, pulls out of the back bag a black box, very, it's like completely shiny, it just was like, I have no idea what's about to happen. We're either about to disappear, like we're in Mission in, or, uh, Men in Black or something, or, and then he pulls these two little cables out, and Sam's holding these, like, again, from this beyond, before time, the cables, and he's like, you're not going to need that. And he attaches it, pushes a button, and he says, wait 10 seconds? All right, turn the car on. And I'm sitting there on the phone with Josiah going, hey, bro, we're going to need a ride. I don't know if it's going to work. There's some guy that's here. And, and um, I was like, what was your name again? Dusty. Awesome, Dusty. Uh, and then he goes, turn the car. And started right up. And I'm like, okay, I got to go. I think I just met an angel. And... Um, <laughs> And I'm like, man, hey, thank you. And he's like, sorry, I can't talk. And he, or he was just like, thanks so much. Don't worry about it, man. I've really got to go, though. And he walked off. And then he just disappeared as he walked away. <laughs> and it was like, I, no, that didn't happen. Last part didn't happen. <laughs> but it felt like, oh, my gosh. What in the world? This person just like out of nowhere in front of us is there. And it felt like he was placed there to care. For us. Now, I don't know any of his story, and that is really true. He quickly had to go. And I don't know if he was placed there to care, but I do know if you're a believer, you've been placed there to care. And you're the hands and feet of Christ in order to care for people around you, which is where he goes next. And he brings up the final thing. So, hey, you're going to pray rightly, pray in light of perspective, pray and ask God to do eternal things in your life. Oh, man, I'm going to love deeply. I want to love people and be an extension of God's love for the world around us. 
And then he says, each of you should use whatever gift you have received, talking about spiritual gifts, to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, he brings up different gifts. They should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. So Peter lays out a number of different profound truths, but he says, hey, every Christian has been given a spiritual gift. Every one of you, when you trusted in Jesus, you were given by the Spirit of God, whether you realize it or not, a gift. And it's a gift that he says is given to you in order to give to other people, in order to serve other people. And it's a gift that when that happens, brings honor and glory to God. That's what basically he said. And he's saying, hey, use the gifts that God has given you and use them to serve other people around you. And when you do, it brings honor to the gift giver, which is God. The third idea from the text is that you and I, and if we wanna live in light of eternity and live with eternity in mind, it involves serving others sacrificially, praying with the right perspective, loving others beyond our limits, and then serving others sacrificially. God has given you gifts, you, that he wants to be used and given to others in this world. Every year at Christmas, my father will send Christmas gifts to our kids, and he'll send them, and I'll open the package and realize, oh, these are gifts for my kids, you know, and um, if I was to take those gifts that I received and hoard them for myself and not give them to my kids, who they were to be given to, through me to them. You would think, man, that is messed up. What, do you what use do you have for a Nerf gun? What would you want with you know, some princess doll? It just would be like, man, that's bizarre. Those are gifts given to you to be given to them. And that's the picture that scripture paints, that God has given you and I gifts. Every one of you has gifts that God has entrusted to you, spiritual gifts that he wants you to use, no matter where you live, no matter what your story is. The Spirit of God wants to give those gifts through you to the world around us. And in Scripture, we're told, because we don't have a lot of time to go exhaustively into the spiritual gifts that God has given, but there's different spiritual gifts that are given, some referenced here. In Romans chapter 12, it talks about prophetically speaking, serving Teaching, encouraging, like some of you have the gift of encouragement. And as lovingly as I can say it, like God has given you that gift so you would be an encourager to people around you. But because of just the insecurities and hurt and stuff that God wants to work through and bring healing, you're not sharing that encouragement because you're too focused on the pain that God wants to work through that you still want to hold on to. He expresses that there's gifts like leadership. You have a gift of giving, gift of mercy. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 4 through 11 says, God will give people the gift of wisdom, of intuition or knowledge, the gift of faith, the gift of healing, the gift of discernment and speaking foreign tongues. 
the gift of helping and administration and leadership in 1 Corinthians 12, 28. I don't know what your gifts are, but I know the Spirit of God has entrusted and given gifts to you that he wants to be used to build his church and his kingdom in this life. How do you know what your gifts are really quickly? A lot of times, you just have to see which things God stirs your hearts towards. What are the things that other people affirm? Maybe you love sharing your faith and it comes naturally to you and maybe you have the gift of evangelism. Maybe you are someone who has a real gift for creating environments and caring for people and you have the gift of hospitality or the gift of serving. Maybe you're just a good communicator as it relates to helping people understand the Bible, not on a stage, maybe on a stage, but just in a small group with other people. I don't know what the gifts he's given you are, but I know that they were given so that they would be given through you to the people in the world around us. In World War II, in a small village called Strasbourg, France, there was a church building that was destroyed and bombed by Nazi bombings. And after the wreckage and the rubble, they were picking up the church building. It's this small village. And inside of that church building where they began to restore all the broken walls and beams that had fallen underneath all of it, they found this statue of Jesus that was entirely, it was totally fine except one thing. Its hands had been broken off when a beam fell on it. And this is a town that they don't have a lot of churches and there's not a lot of things. So of course, everyone's going, hey, what are we gonna do? And we gotta fix that that Jesus statue, I mean, this is a big deal. And so some time went by and people are deciding, should we hire a sculptor to come in and you know, create hands that are placed on there? And then one day, people showed up in the church and on the statue of Jesus, completely there, but the hands gone, there was a sign that said, he has no hands but ours. And the truth, if you're a believer, it says you're the body of Christ. You're the closest representation of Jesus anyone in our world will ever experience. And he has no hands to serve and extend, or the hands he's chosen to extend to our world is yours and mine. And he's saying, you have spiritual gifts that were given not to be held on by you, but to be poured to the world around us, that you would use the gifts that God has given you whether that is in leading a small group of high school kids and caring and showing up. Maybe God has given you the gift of understanding and learning and he wants you to start something or go be a part of something in socioeconomic disadvantaged areas where you just tutor kids and you spend time to them and they don't have a father around, but you're pouring into them and you're teaching them math, but you're teaching them so much more and you're showing him your life and the gospel through it. Maybe he's calling you to start something or go serve and there's so many different ministries represented and that are so connected and close to wherever you live inside of this room, to serve with elderly communities or at a nursing home where you go and minister to some of the loneliest people in society and you just show up and you don't have any relationship with them. You just say, man, I'm just gonna love you and share Jesus and the gospel with you. Maybe he's calling you to go on mission and he's calling you to pick your life up and make a decision to change where you live. Maybe he's not. Maybe he's calling you to start a Bible study and your business or company or the office that you're at. I don't know what he's calling you to do. I know that he has been given or he has given you gifts and he has called you to use those because he has no hands but yours. And Peter says, if you wanna live in light of eternity, you take those gifts that God uniquely gave you and you use them for his glory. And here's where like, this becomes really important. There's something, there's a paradox of the Christian life 
that the more that I focus on myself and I focus on using my gifts and my time and my talents and my energy to build my kingdom and accomplish my agenda and set up my comfort, I lose my life. The Bible says the more that you try to hold and gain your life, you lose it. But the more that you lose your life for his sake, you find it. And the reason why oftentimes we can find ourselves so depressed and in such a bad place is because the focus and constant goal of your life is all about you. It's not about serving other people. And you know what happens when all you do is take in, take in, take in, and you go to church, you listen to the porch podcast, you listen to views from the porch, you listen to other podcast places, you take in, you take in, but you never pour out. Spiritually, you begin to die. It's a law of nature, but it's also a law of reality. If, if I said everybody in the room, just breathe in, breathe in, breathe in, breathe in, and you never breathe out, you die. The Dead Sea is a sea that you've probably heard referenced in the Bible, and it's a sea that's nearer in the places that Jesus lived, and there's beauty all around it, but there's something crazy about the Dead Sea. Everything that is in it is dead because it's a sea that has only water and rivers that flow into it but never flow out of it, and so if you only take in and you only receive and you never pour out you die. And for your own growth, spiritual health, experiencing serving others is a means by which you can experience more of the abundant life God wants you to have. And the more that you resist that or refuse to do that, you're not going to experience spiritual growth, but spiritual death. And I don't mean for like for eternity. I mean, you're just not going to experience the abundant life that God wants you to experience. Peter says, but you can, but it involves serving sacrificially. Maybe the, just last thing and then I'll wrap up. Maybe the most important application some of you can make is when you leave this conference, you're going to call or text your pastor. You're going to call or text a ministry leader. You're going to call or text somebody and just say, hey, I don't know how to serve, but I need to serve. How can I serve? How can I help? What can I do? How can I be a part of what God is doing? I want to serve and be a part of reaching people for Jesus with the short amount of time and life that I have. In conclusion, if you want to live in light of eternity, Peter says it involves, you're going to pray in perspective. You're going to love other people deeply. And then you're going to serve others sacrificially. Let me close with this. I'm going to invite the band to come up and probably should have given them more of a heads up, but they're coming out. Here they are. And let me tell you a little bit about this band. So let me introduce, especially because a lot of us in the room, in fact, most of us in the room are not from Texas, let alone from uh, Dallas, and probably are not familiar with the band that is here. So each one of these guys plays a specific role, plays a different part. We've got J-Rob. Where's Hayden? Hayden? You got J-Rob over here playing drums. Then we've got Esteban over here playing bass. Sam, and, oh, you're over there. You've been there the whole time. Man, Sam and Adam Prince on the keys. We don't have just one. We have two piano players for this weekend. And we have Jake and Wellington playing on the guitar. They're gonna play a song here in a second, but let me say this. I love this band. It is like one of the greatest privileges to get to sit and worship with them, and I love them even more as people. But as a band, each one of them plays a specific role. So y'all start playing a song, and each of them plays a different instrument. And their instrument, they do different things with. So some are plucking strings. Some are hitting, you know, uh, ivories. Some are uh, singing songs. Each of them plays different roles. 
Now here's what happens if a couple of them, as they're all collectively coming together and they're playing this one song and it sounds amazing and it sounds with purpose and beauty, you take out a couple of them and say, J-Rob, stop playing. Jake, stop playing. Wellington, stop playing. All of the beauty and what was and potential, you take out a couple of people not playing their role, not using their gifts, not playing their instrument, so to speak, and what could have been no longer is. Not only that, if, if you, you all play together again, if you have a couple of them that decide, you know what, we're gonna play this song, but you know, I don't like that song. I wanna use my gifts to do what I wanna do. I wanna play the instrument, I wanna play it. And you have the keys or you have uh, the uh, electric guitars, play a different song than everybody else. Notice. All right, that's enough. It's not just not reaching its full potential, it's worse. It's confusing. It's, listen, it's distracting. And it doesn't come off as appealing and attractive. Could it be as simple as this? God has given you gifts and a life, and through that life, he wants to use those gifts to join with others with different gifts and building the kingdom of God. And you have the decision, am I gonna sit out and rob the church of the potential it has, or am I gonna play a different song, not God's song, I'm gonna play my song because I wanna live my song and be distracting to the world who looks to your life, who claims to be a Christian, and you got the bio and you have a verse in your Instagram bio, but you do not sing the song of heaven with your life and how you think and how you live, and it's distracting and it's confusing. And I don't say that out of anything other than love for you, because all I want and our whole hope through this conference is that you would live in light of eternity. The end is near. God is real. You have purpose. He placed you here with gifts. He placed you here for a reason, where you live, who you're around. And he wants to see you experience abundant life by praying and inviting him for eternal things, loving people beyond what is easy and the limits that you feel, and by serving like he did sacrificially on the cross. And in so doing, you experience life. Let me pray. Thank you for listening to Views from the Porch. For more information about The Porch, follow us on social media or visit us at theporch.live. And as always, go in peace and love to serve the Lord this week.